Thanks for tuning into this episode, BBB Presents, celebrating National Consumer Protection Week, featuring Leslie Fair, Senior Attorney for the Federal Trade Commission's Bureau of Consumer Protection. BBB's Sarah Kemmerer talks with Leslie about romance scams and business loan scams, and what consumers and business owners can do to protect themselves against fraud. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is a very special episode because we are celebrating National Consumer Protection Week, and we're celebrating it from February 28th to March 6th. We're celebrating National Consumer Protection Week with the Federal Trade Commission. It's dedicated to help people understand their consumer rights and make well-informed decisions about money. And to celebrate, I'm very excited to chat with senior attorney from the Federal Trade Commission's Bureau of Consumer Protection, Leslie Fair. After litigating false advertising cases for 20 years, she now specializes in industry outreach and is the primary author of the daily FTC business log, which has over 500,000 subscribers. As an experienced presenter and teacher, Leslie has been on the faculty of the Catholic University School of Law since 1984 and holds and currently holds the title of Distinguished Lecturer. And as, and as if she doesn't do enough, then you're not, you're not impressed yet. She also teaches consumer protection law at George Washington University Law School. Leslie, I'm honored to chat with you today about consumer protection. Thank you very much, Sarah. I mean, I look at uh, National Consumer Protection Week as all 52 weeks of the year, mm-hmm. uh, but I think this is a special week uh, to remind consumers and small businesses of what they can do to protect themselves from scams and frauds in the marketplace. Exactly. And I like to say that rather be safer than sorry. And Consumer Protection Week is more prevalent than ever because now we nearly do everything online and will only continue to do so. And of course, the scammers are still taking advantage of COVID-19 at this time. They're taking advantage of the colder weather, the increase in online presence. The list goes on. So to highlight a little bit of what you do and the Federal Trade Commission does, what was the earliest that you saw a COVID-19 related scam get reported? The FTC's initial report about COVID scams happened more than a year ago. It was February 10th, 2020. Wow. But no one could have predicted the direction this was going to take. Uh, So we um, made that first alert to consumers on February 20th. Our first alert to businesses was on March 10th. So we started seeing scams directed at businesses on the heels of the very first announcements about COVID. And so since then, what we've seen in just a year, it's a total of, if you can believe this number, Sarah, 362,000 total reports to the FTC about COVID scams. They are reporting to us, consumers are reporting to us, uh, total losses of $348 million dollars. And that means an average loss of about $319. And wow. with many consumers struggling uh, financially, uh, you know, a $319 loss is a, is a bad loss anytime. But with so many folks dealing with uh, shortened hours or job loss, so many families in financial crisis, um, you know, it's even more serious um, to lose that kind of money. So a good friend of mine, Dave Hatter, who is a local cybersecurity expert here in the tri-state, he likes to use the phrase, scammers follow the headlines. So I wanted to talk about two anchor scams, one targeting business owners and one targeting consumers that have evolved with COVID over the last year and will only continue to do so. I wanted to talk about romance scams and business loan scams 
Because I, I believe that they'll always be relevant regardless of what's happening in the world. So first, can you explain what an anchor scam is and how have you seen these two scams evolve since you've been a part of the Federal Trade Commission? Well, that quote about scammers following the headlines is absolutely true. And I think our experience this past year proves it. Um, by anchor scams, we're talking about those perennial kinds of scams um, that, um, that fraudsters um, target consumers for all the time. What's different in the COVID area is the, is the adjustments and the slight shifts they make to their script uh, to keep up with the times. So the basic anchor scam, it seems to me in so many ways, is the imposter scam, convincing consumers that um, the scammer is somebody that they are not, uh, whether that might be uh, you know, claiming to be a public health official, claiming to be a, uh, somebody from the IRS, somebody who is a, purporting to offer tech support. So that standard imposter scam has really um, taken a turn when it comes to romance scams. Romance scams have been with us for years. Um, you know, somebody claiming that they aren't, uh, somebody claiming to be somebody that they aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, we, we've all seen um, catfishing. We're, we're aware of that concept. Uh, but we've seen at the FTC a real spike in the reported instances of romance scams. Um, uh, from 2020, which are our latest statistics, the reported losses to romance scams um, have reached $304 million, and that's up 50% from 2019. Median dollar loss, $2,500. Oh, my um, goodness. The folks who have been most harmed individually are people in the 70-plus age group. Uh, their median losses close in on about $10,000 um, uh, median. But I think it's interesting that that's not the age group most likely hit with romance scams. The more likely targeted age group is the 40 to 69 age group. Um, and interestingly, the group that has had the largest increase in romance scams in the past year have been the 20 to 29 group. And I think how COVID has affected it, uh, you know, for, all, for everyone, but certainly for the 20 to 29 group, they're not uh, able because of, of closures and um, uh, and social distancing, you know, they're they're not as likely to be at clubs or at coffee shops or at places like that. Right, meeting people out on the town. Yeah, and on top of it all, the usual red flag, uh, one of the red flags of a romance scam, the fact that the person um, is stranded in another locale and can't come to see the person they claim to love, um, you know, that actually has... Um, is a more credible excuse these days with the travel limitations. Exactly. So, yeah, what we're finding is that the uh, you know the romance scammers, um, the pandemic is really playing right into their hands uh, by giving um, a reason why uh, that they're not able to meet face to face. But that's one of the reasons why we're suggesting that folks of all ages um, are even more. <laughs> Uh, on guard about uh, the risk of a romance scam right now. Well, I was going to say that that wide age, that that wide range of age groups, so you mentioned 20 to 29-year-olds, you mentioned 45 to 69, you mentioned 70-plus. That's a wide range 
of people that I, I are affected by everybody. online dating. <laughs> I think that's a lot of people who are qualified to be on those apps or websites. Well, and I think that's the other uh, aspect out in the world is that online dating is so much more popular than it was a decade ago. It's a perfectly valid uh, thing. We've all heard great stories about people who have met the love of their life in real life um, mm-hmm. through a dating app. So, you know, uh, there's certainly some benefits to consumers. However, as soon um, as somebody starts talking about money in the online dating world, I think that's the sign to hit the delete button immediately. Right. And it's it's so sad because those people who are 45 six to 69 and then 70 plus, that age group is just so naturally they trust easier than younger generations. So they're more likely to believe the many lies or the common stories that are often used in these catfishing scams when they're online talking to people that they've never met before in person. Well, we found that, um, you know, we we see a lot of uh, skeptical, savvy consumers at all ages. And if anything, we find that older consumers are actually more skeptical online I think first because unlike their kids and grandkids, um, you know, they're a a little skeptical of the entire um, medium, um, Mm -hmm. but also they bring a lot of life experience. The problem, of course, though, is when they are targeted by a scam, it is much more likely that the dollar amount is going to be devastating to them. So somebody in that 70-plus range may be less likely to uh, be victimized by a scam, but if they are, they are going to be more likely to lose a much larger dollar amount. And at that age group, um, you know, number one, most of them have more disposable income uh, because they've been saving their entire lives. Um, And the other problem is is that a loss for a 25-year-old, you have a lifetime to make that up. A loss for a 75-year-old could mean having to go back to work after retirement moving in with kids when that wasn't the plan. The financial losses to romance scams of an older age group uh, are can be much more devastating. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like with that old, older age group, um, a lot of the times maybe their children or their, or, their, or their grandchildren are more likely to help them with technology, but sometimes they may not need any help. They're more technologically savvy than we generally think. So for those listening, do you have any advice um, for those whose parents or they know someone who is online dating and they want to educate their friends and family on these red flags and they want to make sure that they're using the apps or these websites safely? That's a great question, Sarah, because I think it's an area where we could be really helpful to our friends and family, uh, but it's a delicate, sensitive conversation Mm -hmm. to have. Right. Um, Especially when you're dealing with someone in the early stages of what they hope is eventually a romance. I think what we've, we certainly know what doesn't work. <laughs> what doesn't work is telling them, don't fall for a scam. Exactly. Because let's face it, nobody, <laughs> you know, nobody. When has that ever worked? Yeah, that is just <laughs> not going to be, uh, you know, a, a successful method because nobody thinks that they are going to be falling for a scam. But I think the more effective way to do it is to possibly point out some of the telltale signs um, that we know romance scammers use. Um, certainly what we found is a lot of this very flowery, poetic language. Um, all it takes is to kind of take 
a couple of those phrases, put them in a search engine, and it's not at all unusual that what pops up are sites where other people have reported getting those same wonderful love letters. And um, once you know that that uh, other scammers are using that same language, that's leverage that you might be able to uh, use to to establish that the person mm-hmm. uh, talking uh, uh, to your friend or, or family member isn't genuine. The other thing to do is to do a little um, searching online to find out how to do what's called a reverse image search. You know, generally speaking, uh, these folks will send. Um, pictures and uh, you know what an amazing coincidence that every man or woman doing business who happens to be a millionaire who has been stranded outside the United States and just needs your help to bring their million back to the U.S. so you can get married and be together for the rest of your lives we've all heard that story isn't mm-hmm. it amazing that all of them also tend to be drop dead gorgeous? Um, it's a it's a <laughs> funny little coincidence, isn't it? And so, what a lot of people have found is that when they put pictures in that reverse image search, they find multiple um, profiles of these pictures, yeah, using the same uh, pictures. And of course, in most instances, these pictures have just been you know listed with a right click from someone else's Facebook page or somebody else's Instagram. Um, and, you know, scammers go for, uh, you know, a, a, a sad, uh, sympathetic story. You know, a doctor or a military member or a business person stranded. Maybe they need, uh, you know, the claim is that they need money for, um, uh, you know, taxes or um, they've been hospitalized or something like that. So the first sign of a scam is when that request for money comes. Mm-hmm. But we're starting to see something brand new. And it's that it, it does involve money, but in the opposite direction. That this time the scammer is not asking money. Now the scammers are sending money. And that's easy to think, well, gee whiz, they must not be after my cash because they're sending cash. Right, well, that's such a only- turn of events. Yeah, it almost always involves a request to forward the cash to someone else. What that means is the scammer has now implicated the unsuspecting uh, person in what's called a money mule scam. They are using them to launder funds. And Mm -hmm. you can be sure that what the scammer is up to is criminal activity. And it's going to be tough... For the unsuspecting person, when the FBI comes to call or when the local police comes to call, implicating them in an international money laundering scam, it's going to be a little difficult to explain, well, gee whiz, I thought that was my girlfriend or I thought that was a guy I was dating online. Exactly. And, then, and then you'll have to go and show the the officer or the agent all of your messages and all of the communication that you've had with this person. And it's also made it so we need to change the message that we send out. Mm -hmm. Be suspicious if they ask for money. Also be suspicious if they send money because they could be implicating you in global crime. Yeah, and this is, I feel like these money mule scams, they've recently started to gain popularity within the last few years. So it may not be as widely known that that's a red flag. 
So I'm very happy that you brought that up. And for those who know someone who's listening, um, I feel like sometimes with the older crowd, it could be harder to get the message across. And like you said earlier, you can't just say, oh, hey, don't fall for scams. Do you have any words of advice when tailoring that message and checking in on your loved ones to make sure that they're using these websites safely? I think a lot of it is to make sure to keep an open line of communication with the family member or friend. Um, be the person that they are able to go to to talk to about this. There is a certain amount of embarrassment. There is a certain amount of um, reticence for some consumers to talk about this kind of scam. And that means that the bad guys get away with it um, mm-hmm. and um, you know, w- without uh, anybody doing anything about it. And so I think by making sure to approach this with factual advice and with a non-judgmental attitude, because let's face it, who isn't looking for love in one way or the other? Um, you know, I think that can by keeping the lines of communication open, it's more likely that a family member will listen to what you have to say about potential red flags they could be spotting that it's a romance game. Okay. Well, that's good to know that you have to tailor your message and kind of think about the audience and put put them first and show them facts as opposed to just saying, oh, hey, don't do that, and potentially making them feel bad and embarrassed about the whole situation, which is never fun. So when it comes to consumer protection overall, the romance scams that we've been talking about for a little bit, they're just one of the many examples of scams that will always be present no matter what is happening in the world. And I'm sure you've seen this firsthand, but we know that information spreads like wildfire, where facts can be easily misinterpreted online and communication gets jumbled along the way. And COVID-19 has just showed us how fast these scams can evolve because scammers can tailor what they're saying to what is happening in the world. So what other scams do you see that has this constant evolution? Well, in addition to the um, questionable uh, cure or prevention claims that we're seeing from products. And as I said, the FTC has sent out 350 warning letters to businesses to say, um, you know, and, and this includes what they're saying on social media, to say, we think that these claims that you're making about COVID scams or cures are unsubstantiated. We're also seeing another kind of scam, um, generally dealing with the fact that most of us, both consumers and businesses, are looking to get the, um, you know, the, the masks that we're looking for, that we need to, to stay safe. Uh, mm-hmm. We're looking to get the disinfecting and cleansing products. So another scam that we're starting to see, and we have been seeing in the one year of COVID, is companies setting up, in effect, fake websites, claiming to have those N95 masks or some variation on that, claiming to have the disinfecting products, um, and all they really do is take people's money and never ship. Now, let mm-hmm. me be clear. This is not the instance of a well-meaning, legitimate company that runs into a supply chain glitch. Because let's face it, every small business, every big business these days is dealing with temporary supply chain disruptions because of the pandemic. What we're talking about here is people who set up fake websites using sound-alike or look-alike URLs up in that top bar and are using legitimate companies' trademarked 
intellectual property. Um, we have one, a one case pending right now. It's being brought by our Ohio office, coincidentally enough. It's dealing with uh, scammers that set up websites that appeared to be selling Clorox and Lysol products. Mm -hmm. Let me make it clear, Clorox and Lysol had nothing to do with this, but we all remember, especially in the early days of the pandemic, when you'd go to the grocery store looking for disinfecting products and the, and the shelves were empty. And so people would go online, they would find these sites that looked just like the legitimate sites, would send money and would never get anything. So that's, again, just another form of this imposter kind of scam that we're seeing. Um, just to, to go along with that notion of um, scammers tailoring what's going on in the world, we also have just started to see utility bill scams. Um, I think these are playing on what's going on with the cold snap across the country, with a lot of people seeing soaring utility bills. A lot of this has to do with scams related to what's going on and has been going on in Texas, uh, dealing with um, with the energy grid. But it didn't take long. It took hours, actually, for scammers to send out messages claiming to offer help uh, for utilities or claiming we're going to be shutting off your heat in, uh, and your electricity in zero degrees unless you send us money immediately. Um, so those are the kinds of imposter scams that took no time at all to come out of the woodwork uh, mm -hmm. because of what's going on uh, in the nation. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing those really quick examples. And switching gears to the business loan scams, which I mentioned earlier that we would talk about for the business owners. And this is something that scammers took advantage of very quickly and early in 2020. I mean, you said the earliest report that you saw of a COVID-19 scam was the end of February, and then the business loan scam you saw was early March. So for me, it breaks my heart that business owners get targeted because not only are they a business owner, but they have their own life as a consumer to handle as well. So when losing money to a business loan scam, that also greatly affects their personal life. So how difficult has it been for you all to navigate these PPP loan scams um, and get the word out about how to navigate them? We're still uh, working on continuing to get the message out uh, because with each new development in Washington about a new kind of loan program, we're also seeing that followed up with a new kind of scam. Um, so, you know, the kinds of and, – and certainly you're absolutely right of the individual effect. This doesn't affect just a corporate entity. This affects real people, which then has a ripple effect, um, let's say, to the four or five employees of a small business and their family members. So it really has a pernicious, uh, really bad effect. We're seeing two kinds of scams targeting businesses, generally speaking. One are, are, are scams – that are falsely claiming to be affiliated with the Small Business Administration's PPP uh, loan program. Uh, these are companies that say, we can give you an inside track, or we're an, a PPP-approved entity, so give us your personal information, um, and, and we're happy to help, or you know, pay this amount and we'll jump you ahead in the queue. Um, and those are absolute scams. Um, and the FTC has taken action against um, some companies that have falsely claimed that official affiliation with the SBA that was, that was just fictional. 
The other thing we're seeing is that with a lot of small businesses that are looking for um, quick um, bridge loans to, let's say, maybe make their next um, payroll or get the raw materials they need to stay in business or to try to just weather the pandemic storm, um, they are more likely to seek financing to try to get that kind of help. Um, and, uh, you know, I think the, uh, the one bit of advice we can give them is how you approach that is not to type in the phrase small business loans into a search engine and start contacting the results um, because a number of the results that are going to pop up are um, either scam companies that charge big upfront fees and don't deliver or they involve really um, uh, unreasonable terms and conditions and finance charges that are going to just put small businesses in a deeper hole. So we think the wiser thing to do, first, if you're looking specifically for small business administration help, to go directly to sba.gov.gov mm-hmm. um, because that's where um, you can start to find out truthful information by going to that source. The other source, obviously, is is through uh, trusted financial institutions in the business's own community. Uh, you know, people that they know, that they've done business with. Um, those are much more trusted sources of information rather than a company that claims to offer loans that you happen to find online. Um, right. The SBA has other um, benefits. I mean, uh, you know, other places to go for information. One of the best are what are called the small business development centers. Um, these are offer low-cost or free business consulting services, these days often done virtually, and the expertise is often through community colleges or local universities. I counted 40 small business development centers just in the state of Ohio, and these are where small business people can go to their small business development center and get one-on-one advice from successful, experienced entrepreneurs and uh, about where to go for financing that's legitimate, how do you keep your head above water during this difficult financing mm-hmm. time. Um, but by going to those reliable sources of information, it's a good way to, to protect your small business from these kinds of scams. Yeah, and I wanted to add, you bring up such a good point about financing, that if you accidentally click on the wrong link or you click on a sponsored link that may not be a real company or a real um business that they could lose way more money than what they initially went into looking for the loan for. And small businesses get targeted more often than larger businesses do because even though they may not have as much revenue as those larger businesses do, this often means they may not have as much security set in place because they can't afford it. So what is the best thing for small business owners to do to protect their business? Well, I think you've raised a great point about the financial losses to small businesses by applying to these companies that they're not familiar with. The other risk is the loss of data. Anybody who has filled out a loan application knows that, you know, uh, legitimate financial institutions do ask for pretty much everything but your blood type. You know, they're going to want social security numbers and bank account numbers and credit card numbers, all that kind of stuff. Well, you can imagine how damaging that can be to the identity of a small business that thinks that
they are filing a loan application when it's really um, a new twist on what is called a phishing scam. Of course, phishing with the PH. It's an attempt to get information um, that can be used to commit identity theft. And so this is how a number of businesses um, try to um, apply for a loan only to find out that loan money has already been given out in their name. And it, it wasn't them that took out the loan. It was an imposter. Um, so that's one thing to be on the lookout right now. But there are also some perennial issues, Sarah. I think one of the big ones that the Better Business Bureaus have been battling for years now are these office supply scams, mm -hmm. invoice scams, um, you know, these, these um, subscriptions that show up in the mail uh, that you didn't request, and then, um, uh, you know, uh, what, what small businesses find is that they're now being threatened with collections if they don't pay for stuff that they never ordered in the first place. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, this is less likely to happen in businesses that have an, uh, a formal purchasing department, but that's not going to happen at a small business. But we think companies can protect themselves in part by designating a central person to handle these cold calls about, quote-unquote, a free sample of supplies or um, somebody who can take a look at these invoices that look unfamiliar by, in effect, uh, designating one person on your staff, I would suggest the most suspicious cussed person you got, uh, <laughs> who's going to be willing to be tough and say, we received this invoice from you, we aren't doing business with you, and we're not paying you. Um, so rather than having just whoever answers the phone deal with that, um, I think it's important to make sure uh, that one central person is handled, uh, handling those inquiries. And it's not just small businesses that are being targeted. We have noticed schools, daycare centers, churches, nonprofit community organizations are similarly targeted with these kinds of supply scams, uh, phony invoice scams, um, and, and they need to be protecting themselves too. Awesome. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for joining me for National Consumer Protection Week. We've touched on many examples of common scams that are happening. We've touched on red flags and tips to help educate and empower those listeners who may have experienced a scam themselves, maybe the small business owner, or they know someone who could potentially be at risk. So it's been incredible to learn just firsthand about simple ways to protect our identities and those around us. Well, thank you very much, Sarah. It's uh, been a delight to work with small, business, uh, small businesses across the country and also the longstanding relationship between the Federal Trade Commission and the Better Business Bureaus um, in Ohio and across the country, uh, we think is good for consumers and good for business. Well, thank you, Leslie. I'm Sarah Kemmerer from your local Better Business Bureau, and I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of BBB Presents. Until next time, connect with BBB Cincinnati on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to check out local businesses and do your part by leaving reviews at BBB.org.